0: You're listening to the Connecting with Purpose podcast at Covenant Health with Chris and Daniel, a podcast where Covenant caregivers can connect with executive leaders on healthcare hot topics in the Texas, New Mexico region.
1: All right. Welcome back for another Connecting with Purpose podcast. This is Chris Lancaster. I've got Daniel in here uh, and and we're, we're excited to do uh, what is a several part series now on workplace violence. Uh, we, this is something that you guys have requested for us to bring, so we hope you're enjoying this series. Uh, today, we've got our very own Cindy Kennedy in here, and we're excited to have her as long as James Barr. And so this is going to be a very practical conversation uh, for those of us listening as to, and what does this mean, and what are some basic tips and tools? And we've got the Experts in here that we rely on every day and give us great feedback. We were joking ahead of the podcast that whenever I get a call from CK and I look down and I I see it come up on my caller ID, you always get just a little nervous as to what's happening (laughs) uh, because she's always a step ahead of of everything that goes. And so, good news is, I always know it's already taken care of when she calls. So, it's uh, comforting and anxiousness all at the same time. But why don't we start, CK? Why don't you just give us a little bit? Uh, about your your background and and kind of what you do specifically maybe for those that, that don't know and then we'll give james a chance
2: Okay, Um, I'm so excited to be here and be able to share with what we know about workplace violence, so we can have a better, safe and secure environment for all of our caregivers and our visitors and our patients. Um, I'm the regional safety officer, and I work with uh, security very closely on trying to provide a safe and secure environment. Um, We work with all the hospitals, and we do work with the CMG and other clinics as well. Um, We have uh, classes that are online with Healthstream about workplace violence, um, and we do some other courses. I teach an active shooter class. It's a two-hour class that has uh, been very helpful in very specific situations where there was a potential threat. So always making a difference, um, and it's always a pleasure to work with everyone. How long have you been with Covenant? Probably two years, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's been a long time. I can't even count the years anymore. Um, I think I've been here since 95 this time, 1995.
1: Very cool. How about
0: you, James? So um, my background is I started off in the Navy, uh, did that until I got injured, then I got out, uh, became a bodyguard for a while, and then became a federal police officer, Um, worked my way up through that and retired as a deputy chief of police, and then came to Covenant about three years ago. Um, It's been great ever since then, been helping out in security. Me and Jody Warren kind of handle everything for the region. So we help with any security needs for all the different uh, locations that we have. I also, as far as workplace violence stuff has been going, have been uh, helping teach a class on de-escalation, also on some very basic self-defense stuff. Uh, It kind of goes up to the point that it's great that we have the Active shooter classes, because that's the worst case possible scenario. And then what I teach is what leads up to that point. So everything that trying to talk them down and then what happens if we can't talk them down, they're physically trying to assault you and some very, very basic stuff, because I know we're talking about some people who have never once been in a fight in their life. And so trying to teach them the basics of maybe trying to avoid that and then maybe how to scare off their attacker and things like that. And if they had to go hands on, how to very basically... uh, provide for
3: themselves and get
0: out of the situation.
3: Wow. Uh, we are, uh, I'm excited just to talk about this stuff because I might, um, I, I feel it's often I'll, I'll sit in uh, front of a group of people and they're like, Hey, what are you going to do about this? And it, I, I said, you know, right before we walked in the studio, I said workplace violence is all something we want to control in a sense. I don't think I said that exactly, but we can't control it. It's, it's, like what others are going to do, you don't get to control. You only get to control yourself and how prepared you are for that moment and how cool you are in the moment. We're, we're blessed to have both of you, but let me, let me throw a question out there. If there is... Um, I've interviewed a couple of caregivers and one of them talked about not knowing they were in a situation where until it was kind of too late. Um, a guy... Dressed up a little strange, asked for help, a kind, sweet, caring, pretty savvy nurse goes, oh, let me, let me walk this way. And then a few subtle indicators kind of pop up and she goes, oh man, I'm in, I'm in trouble here. Right. She had that, I would say spidey sense, you know, kind of the hairs on the back of your neck stayed up. They say your name in a certain way. And that that way that they said it just indicates like uh this is not the way i i didn't think i was just walking this person down the hall you know for this i thought of something else but there's got to be a step one to okay i want to learn how to protect myself and others in a safe and smart way what's the what's the first thing that you do
0: So this is James. And so what I teach people in the class is is the very first thing is, and what you're saying is completely correct, because it is not inherent in most people to think this way, uh, the way that Cindy does or I do or things like that, because we're always looking for danger. We're always looking for trouble. It's just kind of bred inside of us. And that's why we're in the positions we're in. But I don't expect doctors and nurses, they're looking for caregiving. They're not looking for what's the danger of this person. But it's good that once you do start noticing those things, that the very first thing is to put yourself in a position of advantage. So if you're walking with the person, okay, where's the next closest person that I can get to and get for help? Is there a way out of this situation, especially if you're inside one of the rooms or something like that? Can I get to the door for any reason, whether it be making up a lie and saying, oh, you know what, the doctor just called me and I need to go check on your test results or whatever it is, some way to get out of there. Because I always tell people the best place to be in any of these type of things or somebody wanting to fight you is not there it's just like a fire if you cannot be there they can't do any harm to you so trying to get out is first and foremost
3: that's good I, I, one of the other caregivers talked about um, and, and it's it's really um impressive this responsibility to protect right uh there there are some and uh CK, I think you told told me this, um, Cindy. I, I'm sorry for calling you CK, <laughs> CK here. CK is it fine. is CK, um, but you mm-hmm. you told me, hey, if there's an active shooter, like one or two percent of the population are even going to like do something heroic. Most mm-hmm. of them, most of us, you know, it's fight or flight. Most of us are flight. Correct. Right? And it sounds like step number one is to like listen to that flight. Uh, impulse in your brain—that's the the safest way to approach some of these things. But when you are in the fight, um, I guess when you're backed into the fight corner, what are some uh, work work through that with me a little bit? What what is that?
0: Okay, um, so. Yeah, basically what we want to do first is try to talk them out. Uh, I tell people, I'm old, I'm broken, I don't want to fight anymore. <laughs> you know, um, although I can and if pushed to that position, yes, there's things that we can do, but we want to try to de-escalate. That should be first foremost. And because a lot of times we can stop it before it gets to that point of actually having somebody wanting to put hands on you or things like that. Uh, so we do what we call active listening skills, and that's what I teach in the classes. And so active listening skills – is building rapport with somebody by listening to what it is that they're going through in their experience and their crisis at that moment. Everybody who's gotten to that point, something has led them to that crisis, to that breaking point. And so we try to listen to that story and try to build rapport with them. And if we can get them to maybe understand a little bit that, you know, the things that they're doing are not rational, you know, because emotion, and the rational on two different tables. And so if they're emotional and they're in crisis, if we can bring some of that rationality back in there, then we can start doing things with the confluencing change. And so influencing change is something simple, whatever the simple task that we wanted them to do, whether it be to just get them through the process of triage or whether it be to get them down the hallway or whatever it is. And if we can do that by having them calmly do it. Now, like you said, if you're backed into a corner, One of the best things that you can do if you can't get out is to try to make them believe that you know things that they don't want to mess with. So we teach people basic fighting stands and how to present at least, you know, kind of fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. um, and put yourself into a position, get into a basic fighting stance and then be loud, be aggressive with them, yelling, hey, I don't want to fight you back off, you know, things like that. And if you can do that, sometimes, you know, you can intimidate them out of the fight. Uh, at the very least, somebody else down the hallway hopefully is going to hear gonna you hear and it. start calling for help. And So
3: so uh, there's there's got to be a time in your career uh, where you witnessed someone de-escalate a situation really well or you de-escalated a situation really well. Is, is that a story maybe you could share with us just so we can kind of understand the practicality of what you're you're talking about?
0: Sure. So uh, one of the things that I didn't mention was is so I've run a crisis negotiation team in Los Angeles for many years um, and so I've been out on suicide calls, hostage barricades, things like that. So I've seen people run the gamut of being able to say the right thing and sometimes inadvertently saying the wrong thing. Um, so I actually spent um, eight hours one time on top of a 300-foot bridge trying to talk a guy down that wanted to jump off and um, The thing was, is that he wasn't feeling as if he was being respected. And so I think respect across the board, now whether whatever the person has done or whatever has led them to that point, people want you to be on their side and be on their team. So we teach a thing in law enforcement and stuff of, you know, of when we're building this rapport that sometimes we will downplay whatever it was that, okay, you know, so you yelled at so-and-so or so you hit so-and-so or whatever it was, you know, we can work through that and, you know, we can start to build some of these things. And so, uh, but yeah, so this guy that was up there, it took us eight hours for him to convince him that we could actually provide him the help that he wanted. You know, um, he was felt that he was wronged by the military. And uh, so he was going to, to end it all. And so after, you know, giving him a lot of hours of respect and then showing him that, you know, that we actually were on his side, especially with suicidal calls, it's usually... I say ninety nine percent of the time uh, that they have felt as if they're wronged by something, and, and that they felt that the pain is has, has reached a point where you know physically they just don't want to deal with it anymore. And so, um, so these negotiations can go on for a while. Of t- it takes a lot to try to build up person's trust and to build a rapport with them. And so you can take that for eight hours, or you could take that for the short distances that we've had to deal with in the hospital and things like that. So. Um, we've had them where, and actually, not too long ago, there was a guy off of the one of the garages that was going to jump, and luckily, you know, with mm-hmm. Lubbock PD's help and stuff, where they were able to get him down peacefully and and uh, things like that. And so, yeah, I've, I've seen it all,
1: unfortunately. Yeah, CK, I want to get to you here in a second on just our programmatic proactive things that we do. But while we're talking, James, one more question. Um, I know from my perspective, it seems that we used to be more worried about often patient visitors and, and more of our, our issues were in that. And now we've seen an increase in the actual patients themselves. If either way, and it seems like when we dig into these, you got two ends of the spectrum where we, we had an anticipation that spidey senses, Daniel kind of mentioned. And then almost just as often there's it came out of nowhere, things had been fine. Um, in these situations, practically, it, it, for a department, let's take the first one where they had some this anticipation. Uh, what what can we do when someone senses that? What's like step one? Is that is that not going in that room alone during that time? And then and then how do how do they know how to escalate that uh, to to start to call security?
0: So we look for the signs in the uh, in the person that we're dealing with and so yes yeah, so step one would definitely be to put yourself in a position of advantage so not being alone uh, because that builds something against you know again kind of that intimidation thing that if somebody does intend to do harm to you if there's two of you he might think twice about it um and but we still want to provide that healing environment and stuff for him we don't want to you know come off in that way if we don't have to unless they really are trying to be a threat to us and then Sometimes, and I tell people this, is sometimes it's just not, you're just not the right person. You might not be the right nurse, the right doctor, and so it is okay to accept that, and we have problems accepting sometimes human beings that we think that we have to solve it. Sometimes it's okay to step down and say, okay, if I can't help you, maybe so-and-so standing beside me can, and, uh, you know, sometimes they'll have better luck, and so at least if you have a couple people in there, it provides safety, put yourself, like I said, in that position of advantage towards a door closer to the exits. So if they start escalating where we start getting through those signs of, they become from psychological intimidation, which is staring, you know, trying to just intimidate you to verbally aggressive, to trying to put themselves into a position of advantage where they're trying to block you inside the door or, you know, put themselves over top of you and things like that get closer to you. Those are all definite things that, uh, that uh, we want to look for. And so, yeah, putting yourselves close to a door with multiple people, get, being able to get out and get to
1: help as quickly as possible is step one. And, and you may not be able to answer this question because, especially the way I'm going to ask it, but, but what about these ones where and it does seem like it came out of nowhere. I mean, has anything come to mind on those where I mean, that, that's where you almost don't have a choice but to find yourself in that situation because that's what people just don't realize, but what, when we go back and review those, does anything come to mind as things that you've seen that we should have picked up on or?
0: I think that every one of them, there's been some sort of signs. Um, Now, whether they've been small signs that, you know, it really was hard for us to, I'll give you a perfect example of one that happened back when we had the plaza and we had mental health up on the second floor. Uh, One of my officers was dealing with a female who he was trying to get back into a room and was attacked from behind. That's definitely a surprise situation. The signs were still there. Other staff noticed it and I would hope that other staff would intervene and at least say, hey, watch out, this guy's coming up behind you or something like that. Uh, But the signs were still there. He was just so focused on somebody else that he didn't see before this guy jumped on top of him and started choking him. Um, So the best thing you can do from there is to immediately go from, okay, this is no longer a talking situation. This is a self-defense situation. So we quickly should go through some of those things that I uh, teach in the basic self-defense of trying to hold them down at least until backup gets there, until other people can help out, or to get away, Uh, you know, at least if we can push them off of us and get out of a door or something like that.
1: What about when does it get to that point where, hey, I've been taking somebody, when should they call... You guys, for for help, what does that look like? They should be calling
0: security um, when they feel that this person's getting aggressive. If they've tried to talk to them and they've tried to de-escalate them, but this person just keeps amping up and starts presenting more of those red flags and that spidey sense, call us. I'd rather us be there and tell us stand outside the door, stand down the hallway at least be in the area so we can respond quicker
1: to be able to be there to help them out when they need us. Do you have folks say that they're worried that that's going to escalate it too much? All the and, time. Yeah, and so what's your response to that? Again, you know,
0: I think that I look on the precautionary side because I look for people to do those type of harm. So, um, and I see a lot of times also is that staff believes that there's a certain level that they just have to take. They think that people cussing at them or people, you know, being f- verbally— defiant to them. It's just part of the job, especially in our emergency departments and things like that because they see it so much. But I try to tell them that's not part of your job. You don't have to take that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, they're afraid. But like I said, then tell us if that's what you're afraid that we're going to escalate the situation, then tell us, hey, there's a room next door. Go sit inside that room because I'll go listen against a wall. Done that plenty of times listening to, okay. when do I need to step in and uh, or just go stand down the hallway at least. So when they yell help. We're there rather than having to come from a different building.
3: You know, we've we've talked about um, this concept before, especially with nurses and doctors. And so I want to say this out loud because I, I hope that I'll be heard. Nurses and doctors are such high achievers in nature. They were, it was drilled into their head that failure is not acceptable. And so when you have a patient who is sitting in front of you and you are trying to be their nurse and doctor, no matter how terrible that patient is failing to be a good nurse or doctor is, it just hurts. You you don't fail classes. You don't fail tests. You don't fail any of those things. You, you succeed. And if you don't succeed, then it's, it's almost a personal, um, or I, I, this is how it is for me. I can't speak for all nurses and doctor, but, but I think most clinicians feel this. And so, what i what i hear you saying is instead of looking at this as failure by calling us and saying hey let us be there for you look at it as one more way to be successful in in this journey of caring for your patients because we don't want you to feel um abuse we don't want you to have to rely on your own skills by yourself it's this problem just like other big problems it's going to be better if we work on it together. Is exactly. that fair to say?
0: Exactly, and uh, you know, it's the unfortunate reality that we live in is that you know that's why we have security, it's why we have law enforcement, um, is because there's those times that we need those, and so it definitely is not a failure to to ask for us to step in. And you know, I think that they should really look at this if you want to look at a healthcare perspective is is that early intervention, right? So just like any medication that you give as early intervention for a heart disease or whatever else, this is the exact same thing except for with violence. And so the, easier, the quicker that we're able to get the right resources in there and security or law enforcement being these extra resources that they can call upon, it's no different than them asking for an x-ray to look at a bone or, you know, or something else. Ooh. And so we can definitely relate it to all the things that they already currently do. We're just
1: another part of the team. That's awesome. C.K., Let's, let's talk about some of the things that we do proactively to evaluate risk. And, and some of these are required, and then some we do on, on our own to just mitigate risk. But we, we do so much, and you and your team does so much to, to go out and always looking for things before we even know that they're an issue. I mean, speak to us about some of the work that's done in that regard.
2: One of the things we um, do every quarter is we'll do a violent person drill. Because we go to that location, we give them a scenario, and we want to watch what they're doing, what they know. Um, and then are they using the tools that we've already provided for them? For example, panic buttons. Many of our areas have a panic button. And um, we may find they don't know where the panic button is. They've got one, but they don't know where it is. Or it's not working, or it got removed. Or that they have to you know, hold it down for three seconds. So we really look at the environment that they're working on they're working in Uh, we also look at you know do they know some specific things they should do about um, you know their distance from the situation how to keep other people from going in that area um, how to call um, security if they didn't have a panic button because you don't have a panic button everywhere you go and then we look at the response of that situation uh, were the were the right people notified and, and and could they get there in time um and then why they were there with the patient or the visitor or whoever it was. What kind of techniques did they use? So we try to use those deal, uh, drills as a real uh, simulation, and we pick up a lot of stories from that. They'll tell us, well, we had this other situation a few weeks ago, and how, do, how should we have handled that? There's a lot of things that happen that don't get reported. And I think that bringing the awareness has been very helpful with that.
1: So in addition to the drills, I mean, like mm-hmm. the annual things that we do where you have somebody actually come – walk the facility and they're looking for, hey, this is a this is a dark area. You might need to add extra lighting. I mean, some of these great things that we do yeah. kind of proactively. Tell us about some of those things that we do.
2: So we do a physical security risk assessment. We try to use a third-party vendor that comes in because they're experts in that field. And they'll look um, at the surrounding area, the parking lots, where the bushes are, what the lighting's like, what are those hiding spots we have to be aware of. They'll look inside the building to look at what environmental controls we have in place. Do we have access control with the card readers so that people can get into certain areas? Um, They'll look at, uh, you know, um, does staff know how to report or seek for help? But it's a very thorough um, assessment that they do then on the other years, we'll just do a departmental security risk assessment when we send something out to the managers and directors to let us know what are the things that you're seeing that uh, with safety and security, um, and from that, we can develop a plan on these are some things that we need to do for this year, and that goes into our security management plan, uh, which we uh, have to do an evaluation and plan annually, and right now, we're currently working on that for both, uh, for all the campuses. You
3: know, as I, I listen to this, um, James and Cindy, what I think, it, it, I, maybe this is a foolish um, analogous, but just like exercising is something that you do to prep your body to deal with the disease that you don't know is coming, so much of this really is around preparation and um, taking classes, Mm -hmm. not, you know, you don't, you don't learn Kung Fu and are prepared for a fight because a fight came. It's the the continuous practice of going, okay, there's an active shooter class and I need to go to that. Or there is a, how to deescalate class. And I need to go to that. And you know what? I went to the active shooter class. Um, I went to the active shooter class uh, last year or last month or last whatever. But I will learn more because I go again and I will pick up something new. And so what I hear as we're kind of talking through this, you know, a lot of times you know even myself if i had a no workplace violence button no bullying button no no intimidation button no long, i loved how you said like they're using different kind of tactics like a long stare or you know they you know there's just things that you you said that you're like oh yeah that is the the behavior we witness but if you're taking these classes and it becomes something not that you got exposed to once but you become not an expert but you can actually think in that moment, when something is escalated, because you're recognizing, okay, it's not the long stare. Like typically, long stare, I'll get all, I'll get all jacked up myself, and be like, okay, do I need to fight this guy? If, if, if somebody said a long stare and he was giving me a long stare, I'd kind of probably smile, like, oh, the long stare tactic, you know, great job, buddy. <laughs> um, that'd probably get me punched in the face. I don't know, <laughs> but, but just being exposed to these things. Over and over again, the exercise of continue, continuing to expose yourself to different tools to be ready for something like this to happen is, is really what I hear you saying. Like You're, ne- you're never going to be able to know all the perfect words to say to the guy who's ready to jump, but you might have more words than just one if you, if you trained in a lot of different ways to get ready for that. Any, any feedback on that? I guess, I guess I'm guess i coming to that conclusion right now.
2: I think in addition to that is always being aware of your environment wherever you are. Um, and so many things, there is a red flag or a signal or a sign. And if you're really aware of what's going on, you would have been a little bit more prepared for that. And um, I think we're a little more trusting than we should mm. because of the what we do. And we... We need to be more observant and watch for those and then act on those. It's surprising there's a number of people that don't even know you can call security. What is that number? And and I just had a situation earlier this week where I debriefed with someone. No, security was never called on it and should have been called early because we had security within uh, probably 20 feet of the situation.
1: Well, just to kind of close this out, I want you all to think about Daniel kind of mentioned this earlier when he talks to caregivers after a situation happens, and I think really resonate with this because when I have done this, the question that kind of haunts me is, what are y'all going to do about this? And, man, I understand the passion that that, that they bring in that because it's a legitimate question. And I think about all the work that we already do to—and and like in anything— You can never completely mitigate the risk, but I think about all the things that we do to try to protect our caregivers. Does anything else jump out as something that you would want caregivers to know just to the extent that uh, this is something? I mean, we've got whole groups of people dedicated to this work every day. Anything else jump out that you'd want people to know?
0: Um, This, James, I think that, uh, yeah, the,
1: Our security teams
0: are definitely constantly training on these things, and uh, they're going through all the same trainings that the staff's going through for active threat and things like that, but then they go through extra training on what their side of it should be. And I'll tell you that every single one of those situations that has happened in real life uh, involving Covenant security, I have seen them step up and to rush into situations um, to protect others. And so... They are dedicated, and and I know that some people might question having unarmed security and what we really, what level of protection that we can provide. But I'm going to tell you that these guys are dedicated to saving the caregivers, and I have never seen one of them not step up when it's needed to. They're well-trained. They are, we have physical security that Cindy talked about. You can have all the type of tight physical security we want, but we have to have the eyes and ears of staff to help us because they're going to be the ones that are going to see the danger first or even before it even becomes danger, just somebody who looks out of place, something like that. Early intervention, like I talked about, is probably the best step and the best thing that they can help us to help them.
2: Um, Early, early call, uh, calling security early. Um, Don't wait for something to happen. If you get that spidey feeling in the back, call let someone know don't wait for the next shift and then something does happen do it right then
1: well just to kind of close us out here i mean i just i think about uh, all of our folks that come to work every day with the intent to heal and provide and to come to the calling that they have in working in healthcare and i don't think any of us uh, ever thought we'd be in this situation and my heart goes out to people that find themselves in this situation uh but i know in today's world you could say the same thing about it, situations that happen in a walmart or whatever the case may be um and that and that's the world we live in today and that's a that's a sad uh reality uh i'm thankful that we do uh, all that we can to mitigate that risk i'm thankful to to you guys and your teams that that go out and do it i love watching our uh videos on the you know security cameras when we go back and to see our security team running in, you know, when you got other folks kind of running out, and and so I, I admire folks that have the the courage to do that. Daniel, anything in closing?
3: Well, thank you for taking the time just to come and meet with us and talk through um, the practical side of things. Um, some of the training I can tell just in the caregiver stories uh, is effective. Like some of the caregivers that I've, that I've already talked with, and I'm not sure how we released the series, but, um, they said, cert- they had little trigger words, I would say that made them, that made sense to me as they told the story. And I, I asked them, I said, do you have, you have training in that? And she's like, you know, I, I did have some training in that. And so it is effective. Yeah. And that's, so really, what I'd want to get across to people is you have you have really skilled people with a lot of life experience that are teaching us as caregivers how to deal with a different public. And so please, 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 take them up on that offer because it could keep you from being in a situation that's uncomfortable. you yeah. You might be quick enough to learn that I just need to get out of this and we're gonna regroup and come back at this, you know, I, i'm I'm, Started, I can't remember the art of the war. I think the art of war book. And it's, it's one of those statements where um, it's like, Hey, do everything you can to not fight. And if you do fight to win, that's, I mean, it's pretty simple there, but it is start with avoiding the situation and, and getting out of it and being smart through it. So thanks so much for showing up. Uh, I really do appreciate uh, the, con- the content and the concept. It's a big one, but uh, we couldn't do it without you.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. This is again, part of a multi-series. So uh, today we wanted to focus on some practical applications from these in-house experts. And so make sure you listen in on the other ones as we continue this series on workplace violence.
3: Thanks for
0: listening to the Connecting with Purpose podcast at Covenant Health with Chris and Daniel. Be sure to catch our next episode and please share this with your fellow caregivers.